Hello, and welcome to another DBSA podcast, which, if you've been here long enough, you know stands for Dear Bitches and Smart Authors, except that iTunes apparently doesn't like the word bitches. I'm Sarah Wendell from Smart Bitches, and I like the word bitches, and I'm here with Jane Litt and Chastity Jenkins Patrick from Rockstar Litt, who works as a virtual assistant and marketing assistant for many authors, some of whom you've most definitely heard of. We talk about how her work has changed over the years. We talk about productivity and self-assessment, and we also talk about what she and Jane are reading because apparently they all adore the same books. Please note, at about 23 minutes in, we have a bit of a spoilery discussion about Allegiant, so if you haven't read that yet, you want to skip ahead to about 24 minutes and 5 seconds. You've been warned. Intermix, our podcast sponsor, would like you to know about Samantha Young's new novella, Castle Hill, a follow-up to the New York Times best-selling on Dublin Street. I'll have more information later. And now, on with the podcast. I am Chastity Jenkins Patrick. Uh, I own a company called Rockstar Lit. We help authors with marketing and all things publicity related. And I'm also an avid reader. I've been reading literally since I was pushed out of the womb. So romance is my favorite genre, and that's what I'm sticking with. That works. So you work as an assistant and a marketing uh, aide for many authors. Yes, pretty much. We uh, can do anything from just basic I don't know, general admin things to actually putting together full marketing plans for authors when they're releasing a new book. Ooh. And the reason that we got to know Chas is because she works with Kristen Ashley. Yes. Yes, I've been Kristen Ashley's Chas for the last few years. Everyone knows me from over, the Who Reads Kristen knows me by Chas, so that's who I am. And what do you do for Kristen? What are some of the things that are your responsibility? A little bit of everything. Um, put together her blog tours. I actually edit her books. When she's having a cover design, help her come up with the final designs. Set up bookings and interviews and giveaways. And pretty much anything that you would need a back-end office person to help with as an author. How long have you guys been working together? Three or four years. How'd you meet? Did you like send her a fan letter and be like, I wish to be your BFF? Uh, yeah, basically. <laughs> basically <laughs> Please tell I read, me all of your business. Yes, basically I sent her a fan mail after Sweet Dreams. And when I read that book, it literally, I was like, oh my gosh, this is so great. And I, I've never sent a fan letter before in my entire life, but this book got me. So I wrote like, I don't know, it's something like 13 paragraphs long, just telling her how freaking awesome she was. You know, and, I don't think anyone likes getting letters like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, she wrote me back the next day, and we just basically started chit-chatting in mail. And this went on for months and months and months. And then finally I was like, dude, you need a proofreader. Your next book. <laughs> <laughs> you don't say. Yeah, I was like, you need a proofreader. You know, this is what I do. And I sent her, I owned a virtual assistant agency. Then we basically helped online marketers. And I sent her a link to my website. I said, here's my website. Here's what I do. If you need references, let me know. And she wrote me back the next day and said, all right, I'm in. Here's my next book. Read it. <laughs> so there you go. And for the longest time, I helped her out and worked with her. And this is when she still lived in England. And for pay, she would actually send me these really awesome boxes of English chocolates and English tea. And let me tell you, Easter was my favorite time of year because the freaking Maltese are bunnies. <laughs> Oh, Maltese or bunnies are the bomb. They were the bomb. I miss Maltese or bunnies so bad. If I anyone out there is curious about setting up a virtual assistance agency, being paid in Maltese or bunnies is an option. 
Yes, yes. But now you actually work for actual cash, right? Uh, yes, yes. Uh, she was very insistent that after she moved to the United States, she was going to actually pay me cash instead of Malteser bunnies. So. That's a, I think that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah, it was a really good thing. So how many so. authors do you work with as an assistant? Well, right now I have seven active seven active and just keep in mind that those seven have only come around since the beginning of October. That's a lot I, of people. Wow. Yeah. I didn't really, after RWA, Kristen and I had this, had this little chat. I don't know if you know, it was in front of the Marriott back over behind the stairs sitting on a luggage track. And she's like, dude, we've met so many people this weekend who can use your help. So I want you to just expand out your business and start working with other people. I decided to do that after thinking about it. And I the next thing you know, it, we have four new clients. One of the things that fascinates me about virtual assistants for authors, and this is actually an article in the Romance Writers Report this month, how, how to hire and figure out whether or not you need a virtual assistant. I used to be an, an administrative assistant on a high executive level, so I am pretty fluent in what administrative work means. What are some of the things that you do administratively to help authors out? Administratively, let's see, we can help book travel. That's that's a big one. We have a lot of authors who like to go to book signings and stuff. So if they need help booking their travel, we can help with that. Uh, basically keeping receipts for them so to send to their bookkeepers, like if we're having a contest and we buy something, they need to be able to track all that for tax-wise. Mm-hmm. Um, if we're talking about just like basic office things, things like that are helping. We have one client who whose email would make you freaking scream. So we have a virtual assistant with her who goes in every day and sorts out her email and tells her what to answer then and what she can answer later. I have um, had an assistant do this for me before and it is a glorious thing. Yes, yes. <laughs> we started out with something like 10,000 emails in that box and it took us three months until last week to actually get that inbox sorted out so that it actually made sense and now she's like I freaking love you and pretty much if you can dream it it can be done from from online and virtually what are some of the hardest things that you deal with when you do personal assistant work uh saying no to people basically we get for every author that we have we get tons and tons and tons of requests for things Mm -hmm. like you know giveaways and interviews and can you come to this event or can you come to that event and at a certain point, you have to be able to say no. Everything on your calendar is booked up for a whole entire year for the author, and there's not a dang thing you can do to work in anything in between. So you have to learn how to say no and do it in a kind of way that's not going to piss people off. So if, <laughs> if someone were considering hiring an assistant, what should they evaluate first? What should they think about before they start looking for a person or looking for a service? What they want. What they're, what I always tell authors is basically look at your day as it goes now and tell me what your ideal day is going to be. Like authors always come to us because they don't have time to write. They're doing so many other admin things or they're on Facebook literally 12 hours a day that they don't have time to actually write. So when that happens, when the author comes to us, I actually have this really cool author assessment. That thing has been tweaked throughout the years of I've, I've actually been a virtual assistant. First, it was made from internet marketers, and then I've tweaked it for authors. And the first thing I do is make them fill out that assessment because I can look at that assessment and I can tell them exactly what they need based on their answers to the questions. I've done a similar process for myself where I had to write down all the things that I do and all the things that I didn't want to do anymore and then figure out if I could ask someone else to do those and teach someone else how to manage that part. Exactly. And that's the same exact process, except it starts with that assessment for us. What are some of the questions on the assessment? 
basically it starts out by asking them what their average day is like. Like I want a whole list of everything they feel like they do during the day. Mm -hmm. And then it breaks down and asks them how much time they spend making phone calls or answering email or working on their work in progress, what they do marketing wise. I have like 12 different categories. I break it down and I ask them for how many hours per day they they spend doing that. And then um, it goes on further to ask them what tasks they love to do, which are their least favorite, which mm-hmm. they feel isn't their most time-consuming. It digs down and asks if they have is- issues delegating tasks to others, if they're detailed-oriented, how much do they procrastinate. Then we get into like their publishing goals for this year and the next 12 months. And then I ask them more questions about how much time they spend writing, what time of day they write, just different questions like that. It gets, it gets very detailed. One of the things that I find fascinating about the way that publishing has changed over the past few years is that not only are there more options for authors to publish their stories. I mean, there's like so many different options in terms of I have written a story where am I going to publish it am I going to sell it am I going to do it myself if I'm am I going to join with another group of authors and we're going to do it together on top of all of that there's more opportunities for individuals to develop service businesses to help all of these entrepreneur authors doing their entrepreneurial thing exactly and that's something that you've done starting with being a virtual assistant to marketers Exactly, exactly. And that was actually an accident. Um, I started out as a nurse. I was a nurse and I ran a home health office and I actually had bleeding ulcers from the stress. So I had to take some time off work. And my husband had been laid off during that time frame. And one of his buddies that I used to work with emailed and said, you know, hey, we've got a job for you working virtually from home, uh, helping out this one guy answering customer service emails. Do you want in? Gary said, of yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, of course. So it grew from there. And then they were doing a launch for an internet marketer who was actually pretty famous. And one of his admins, one of his VAs, actually backed out at the last second. So they were Ouch. like, we need somebody we can we can train and we can do it right now who's available. And I was like, well, I am. I'm here. Let's see how this goes. And he taught us any and everything you need to, ever needed to know about internet marketing. And we were with him for about four years. And he was actually very encouraging, saying, branch out and help other people. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Learn everything you can possibly learn. So that's my accidental, accidental story of how I became a virtual assistant. And you no longer have bleeding ulcers, right? Uh, no. That's a good thing. No longer have bleeding ulcers. Which and do you is and glorious. your husband both work at home? My husband is semi-retired. He's actually sitting over here right now watching TV beside of me, knitting, and he's got his guitar out that he's going to be playing his guitar here in a few minutes. So he's he pointed at his guitar instead of saying knitting, so I guess he wants us to edit that part out. <laughs> Honest to God, I think I want to hang out in your house. <laughs> it's pretty interesting here. What are some of the changes that you have noticed as an assistant over the past few years? What are some of the changes that you've noticed in publishing? there's so many there's so so many but I I can you can get me started on publishing and I can literally go for hours and hours and hours on the topic um back when self-publishing first started you basically wrote your book you put it up on line and you crossed your fingers and said a little prayer and hopefully it caught on and now the process is a little bit is a little different. I mean, you can still do that, but it's not going to be as effective because there's so many books out there now. I mean, how many hundreds of thousands of books are sold daily? 
and the options are so much wider. So you've got to actually be able to put out a decent product. You have to have a really good story. You need a pretty cover because covers, you know, you're not supposed to judge a book by a cover, but you do. Readers do. It's the first thing you look at. And I, I, I don't know. There's just so, so many different things that authors need to take into consideration now. And from a traditional publishing standpoint, you're seeing all these hybrid authors. You're seeing all these authors who actually have books in publishing houses, but they're actually self-publishing other books too. And it's just amazing because, you know, 10 years ago, that would have never, ever happened. You read what the publishers put out and you found on the Walmart or Target bookshelf or what you found at your library. Yep. Or just so happened to come across on Amazon. So it's like there's... It's just expanded so much now that readers have such a diverse choice of what they're going to read. Jane, you're awfully quiet. I'd probably be more interested in hearing what you have been reading because we exchanged some emails about different books and you you actually recommended a book to me, uh, a fantasy book. So why don't you share that? Because I know you've had a hard time finding good books to read. Yes, I've had and a heck of a time. Yeah. And then after you share the fantasy book story, then I have to tell you um, a kind of a sad tale and give you a warning. <laughs> okay? Okay. All right. So the one that I recommend to, re- recommended to you was called After the Ending, and it's by two Lindsays, Lindsay Fairley and Lin- Lindsay Pogue. Jane, you know that I have this weird thing where I have to be in a certain mood to read certain type of books. So I found myself not wanting to read pure out romance. I was wanting to get back to the dystopian world. And it just so happens I came across this one and I was like, oh, okay, let's try this. And I, I really liked it. I had a, a one little problem with it that communication was down during this book and they were still able to email each other. But I actually suspended disbelief because it was just really cool for me because both authors wrote in a different point of view. One Lindsay took one of the characters' point of, view, point of view and the other Lindsay took the other ones. But I couldn't tell that as I was reading it. It just flowed so well. And it's basically, you know, people are turning into kind of a zombie-type creature and taking over the world. And this group of people are stuck wherever they are and they're having to make their way across the United States to a safe haven. I I love that shit. I love dystopians. So this one just for the first chapter I was in. So I was like, Jane, you have to read this book now. Well, and I did buy it and I, like you, I kind of have to be in the mood and I don't think I was in the right mood for that book at the time. Mm-hmm. And then in the intervening time after you had recommended that to me, I had read two motorcycle club books that yes. I liked, which I recommended to you. One was Shooter by Dahlia West, and the other was Move the Sun by Susan Finetti. Yes. And I literally, the moment that I had a spare time to actually read for personal, you know, personal pleasure reading, I devoured both those books in about a day. So then Susan Finetti's second book came out, um, Behold the Stars. And it is... Um, It kind of tells the story about Lawrence Ellis, this big-time drug dealer, mobster, uh, who is trying to take over Isaac's town. And the story is about how the Night Horde fights back. And I was very excited about this book. When it was sent to me for review, I was given the warning that it was very dark. And I thought, well, I I think I'm okay with that. Because one of my favorite books of 2013 was The Last Hour of Gan, which is the lizard book. Mm -hmm. Which you recommended to me, and I devoured in like like two days. So, yes. (laughs) It 
And it was, it's a pretty dark book. You know, there's bad things that happen in that book and bad things that happen to Amber, bad things that happen to Miorek. So I figured I can take this, um, but I couldn't. <laughs> in fact, there was, I got to about the 60% mark when something really horrific happens and I had to take a break. And I wrote to Katie D who, who had uh, sent me the review copy with permission of the author. Mm-hmm. And I said, I asked her if she had read it because I needed someone to kind of share my PTSD with. And uh, she said that she had DNF'd it at 40%. And wow. so, and so I said, well, I really need you to read on because I need someone to commiserate with me about what has happened in this book because I can't suffer the trauma alone. <laughs> so you're sharing the PTSD with others. Right. Well, I also feel like, because I talked about this book, I think in the last podcast, I feel like I need to tell people this book is so dark. I had to stop reading. And then when it was over, I was like depressed for two days and I had to eat a lot of chocolate. And I still like, I have like tremor flashbacks when I had to write the review. (laughs) Wow. How bad was this one compared to after you finished the last book of the Hunger Games trilogy, which is bleak? How bad was this compared to that? Well, the, the, you know, the, the last book of the Hunger Games pissed me off so much that I refuse to watch the movies. And my daughter loves this series. And so I've told her and my husband, they have to go to it by themselves because I have no desire to watch what happens. I hated how it ended. I hated that everything was so, you know, morose. And then how she was like practically forced to be a birthing machine for PETA at the end. I mean, that was grotesque to me. I never made it that far in the Hunger oh. Games. I read the first one and I read, started reading the second one. I'm like, no, I know where this is going. Just forget this. And I just put it down entirely. Well, the second one is just basically a rehash of the first one because it's just the Hunger Games redone, but with the champion series, you know, mm-hmm. all the former champions. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I saw a review of Chasing Fire and like at Variety or something. And they said, wow, this this movie is a lot like the first movie. And I'm like, well, that's because it's following the book. <laughs> right, right. What I did was ended up skipping around and reading the last chapter of the second book. And then I read the first chapter of the third book and the last chapter of the third book. And I'm like, nope, I'm done. I'm out. <laughs> I did that with Twilight. Like I, I, I couldn't read past the first one because I hated Shut up. My dog didn't like Twilight either, for the record. Um, <laughs> the minute that I got to the part where she was like filling up her car with a black American Express and she had all these new clothes, I was like, I'm done here. No, I don't want to read anymore. Well, I had the first read... and last chapters works really well sometimes. I could not stop myself from reading the last book because of the I had to read about the spine breaking birth, um, the, the reaction, Cleo Linda. Um, had, was like live <laughs> blogging it or something. All you had to say was Cleo Linda, and I started laughing. And, <laughs> Me too. And, and so I had to go and read it then. I mean, it, it just seemed like too improbable. Like I read her words and I knew that she couldn't be lying to me, but I thought maybe she was exaggerating. No, not at all. The, the other thing that really bothered me about the Hunger Games trilogy was that you know, obviously, Susan Collins was making a statement about war and how war never solves anything. But I felt like, well, what's the option here? Is the option that they stay in captivity and keep sending their kids to be killed every year and they're impoverished? And I mean, there was no other alternative that she presented as the option against war. So she wanted to make this great anti-war statement, 
But the alternative was that everyone lived in despair and hunger and fear. I, I wanted her, if she wanted to make that message, then she needed to give me something else. Like this is, <clears throat> they had two forks in the road. They could have gone A or B and they chose B, which was the worst road. If they had chosen A, there would have been a different result, but she never gave the, the A the different result. That's where it really failed for me. As for Move the Sun, I guess, or Behold the Stars, I guess what really bothered me was two things. First, the author tries to romanticize this um, motorcycle club gang, and and she says explicitly in the very first, like, 20%, these people were more honorable than the average citizen because they face, uh, come face-to-face with their consequences every day. Well, first, the average person does come um, face-to-face with the consequences of their actions regularly. Um, but second, I'm sorry, but meth producers and those who run a protection ring for meth producers are not more honorable than the average citizen. Meth makes you, just- you totally more honorable, honorable than everyone else. The only thing better is if you're a motorcycle gang that makes organic tofu. Oh my God. I always <laughs> rather read that. I probably should read that now to like wipe the stain of Behold the Sars off my head. But so then later on in the end of the book, so the book is bookended with these two kind of we're really honorable and at the end we're heroes sort of thing because they took down Loris, Lawrence Ellis's gang. But the way in which they take him down was really appalling. And they were no different than Lawrence Ellis, the bad guy, because he was trying to expand his meth operation and they were trying to keep him out. Like, how is that? How are they more morally good than Lawrence Ellis? Just because he had more ambition that makes him more evil? Because the actions that they took to save their town and keep Lawrence Ellis out were just as execrable as Lawrence Ellis's actions toward them. And you're supposed to buy into that. They're the good guys. Yeah. I mean, she she did this blog post that says that she's a feminist and that she's trying to work through how women gain agency after sexual assault. And I thought, why? You know, you have all these. And then she says, well, you know, Lily is not, Lily is the heroine. She's not uh, an Avenger. She's not the Black Widow. She can't defend herself all the time. Well, you know what? None of the MC guys were captured and raped and beaten and tortured. None of the men are treated like that. So are they Hawkeye? I mean, are they Thor? They they came away unscathed and they are the ones that are exacting vengeance. But somehow Lily, the woman, can't. So, I mean, I don't know. It just all oh, really... She's got a great voice, very captivating. But I, I don't know. In any event... If you're going to read that book, uh, Chaz, just drink a lot of wine when you read it. Gotcha. Chocolate and wine. Yeah. Gotcha. Is this like Uh, all the people on my Facebook timeline who I saw reading the last Veronica Roth book and how excited they were and I wanted to comment, okay, please go to a safe place with with cushions and pillows and tissues and um, no internet and no breakable things and no sharp things. I need you to finish this book in a safe place. Go there now. Yeah, you just know it's gonna hurt bad. I still haven't finished that last one. You know, Uh -uh. you might be better off not doing it. Just, just make your own ending. Yeah, that's why the real ending is that bad. Just make your own. 
that's what I was thinking myself. I was going to wait until I was in a dark, dark place and could handle it. Because I seem to handle dark books better when I'm in a dark place. (laughs) I saw the the big, I was at the theater this week going to Frozen with my family. And there's this huge Divergent poster. And I wanted to write right next to Tris. She dies at the end. (laughs) But I didn't. I read that spoiler on an accident, and I'm like, what? No, no. I want my damn happy ending, people. No. Because that was my big thing growing up when I was reading books. I would always, and even, you know, growing up, I say even as soon as five years ago, I read the last chapter of a book first to make sure it was going to have a happy ending before I would read it. I do that yeah. all the time. I've actually quit because I have found that sometimes things happen that can surprise me in a book. So I kind of go with it. I kind of go with it. Now, if I'm halfway through it and I'm getting irritated and I'm like, are they going to pull their finger out and how the hell is this going to end? I will go ahead and skip and read the last chapter. But who are your favorite authors that you always love to read? Always love to read. Rachel Gibson is up there. Victoria Dahl. I'm very much into contemporary. So them. Carly Phillips has been on my list for, you know, hell and ever. My mom and I have a collection of Carly Phillips books. We pass back and forth to each other. And it's like a, it's, it's a big thing. Like, don't you break my spine. Well, don't you turn my corners down while you're reading this. <laughs> Kristen Ashley, of course, is one of my go-to authors. And you get to read all her stuff early. I do. I do. I actually, the, I was telling you last night, I was up late editing and I was actually working on her next book last night. Ooh, do you like it? I do. I do. It's it's called Broken Dove and it's in her fantasy series, Fantastical. Those books, I know people either love them or they hate them. That first, the, which one is it? Golden Dynasty is my favorite out of that one. And this book is is getting is right up there with Broken Dynasty. I really like the hero and the heroine in this. They're they're pretty free, freaking cool. So Broken Dynasty is on sale right now, but by the time the podcast comes around, it probably won't be. Uh, actually, I think we're leaving that up until the until the end of December. Until oh, the next there you book. go. Yeah, we we put the whole entire series on that one for on sale before the new book comes out at the end of the month. So. And that's all for this week's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the interview. Future podcasts will include me and Jane and romance novels, but you totally knew that, right? Of course you did. The music that you're listening to was provided by Sassy Outwater. You can find her on Twitter at Sassy Outwater. This is, yes, correct, Pete Bog Fairies, and this is called Room 215, and I really like this song a lot. This is from their album Dust, and I'll have information in the entry that goes with this podcast about where you can find it and buy it if you haven't already stocked your iPod with Pete Bog Fairies, and if you haven't, you totally should. This podcast is brought to you by Intermix, who would like to ask the following question. What happens after two lovers find their happily ever after? Jocelyn and Brayden first fell for each other in Samantha Young's New York Times bestseller on Dublin Street. Now, can they learn how to overcome their demons and truly be together? You can download Castle Hill, a new novella, a follow-up to On Dublin Street, available now and on sale wherever ebooks are sold. Coming up next from Samantha Young is Before Jamaica Lane, an all-new romance novel coming in January. If you liked this podcast, and I hope that you did, I hope you will email us and tell us why, or ask us questions, or tell us what you would like us to talk about next. You can email us at sbjpodcast at gmail.com. You can also leave us a voicemail at our Google Voice number, which is 1201371DBSA. That's a U.S. number, so if you're calling from far away, make sure that you are aware that that will probably cost like six whole cents. 
Please don't forget to give us your name and where you're calling from. We can make sure to include your message in an upcoming podcast. I plan to quiz Jane because it's fun. So if you have a suggestion of what kind of things I should be quizzing her about, or you have a book suggestion that you would like me to trick her into thinking is real, you can email me as well. And if you don't want to go to the general podcast email address, because you know you don't want to give the quiz away to Jane, you can email me at sarah at smartbitchestrashybooks.com. I'm really glad you're here listening to the podcast. We have a lot of fun doing these, and I'm looking forward to another year of podcasts. So wherever you are and whatever you're doing, Jane and Chastity and I wish you the very best of reading.